You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Do you ever think modern life is not for you? same dead-end job every day there's no i in team but there is an i in pie in there's an i in meat pie the anagram of meat is team i don't know is your love life dying on its feet to a wonderful mom oh have you ever felt that you're turning into a zombie Although no one is prepared to comment, religious groups are calling it Judgment Day. Crisis. It is vital that you stay in your home. A hero must rise. And avoid all contact with the assailants. From his sofa. <laughs> the attackers can be stopped by removing the head or destroying the brain. Look at the head. Purple Rain. No. Sign of the Sun. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. Throw it. The biggest zombie comedy in British history is invading America. I'm coming! And if you're looking for a man... I've taken a shortcut before. ...with the right moves... <gasps> nice. Good vocal work. Let's all try together, shall we? One, two... The right lines... The only thing that will redeem mankind is cooperation. <laughs> And the right partner. Ed! Two seconds. Yes. And hold it there. Don't. Oh, sorry. Call. Sean. Oi! Sean. Oh. Sean of the Dead. He's my husband, you know. I still love him. I've still got the ring on my finger. You go to bed with it? Hey folks, welcome to a special edition of The Projection Booth. I am your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Clark Collis. He is an editor at Entertainment Weekly, and he's the author of You've Got Red on You, How Shaun of the Dead Was Brought to Life. It is a terrific making of book when it comes to Shaun of the Dead. There's some stuff about Spaced in there, even got some hot fuzz in there. Talk about some of the other films that Edgar Wright has done. I am a huge fan of those first two films from the so-called Cornetto trilogy, and especially Shaun of the Dead. So sit back, relax, enjoy this interview. Tell me more about Clark Collis and how you became a writer. 
Clark Collis grew up in Somerset in the west of the UK. And we're going to probably circle back to this later. But if you've seen Hot Fuzz, the small town where Hot Fuzz is filmed is the town where I grew up. And it's actually not quite as small as that film makes it look. It's got an enormous 12th century cathedral in the middle of it, which Edgar Wright had to, I believe, had to CG out when they sort of the opening shot coming into the the town. But it's pretty pretty small. It's about 10,000 people. And I grew up there. And that's the town where Edgar Wright, the director of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and and Baby Driver grew up, although he's a a few years younger than me. But we had a very similar experience kind of growing up. But, you know, on the one hand, it's a lovely part of the world, really quite beautiful. But on the other hand, you feel very distant from everything, really. I mean, the nearest city is Bristol, which when you're a kid, you know, is, is an impossible like 20 miles away. And London seems very far and Hollywood seems you know, much, much farther than that. But I, but I was always interested in films. And I remember when I was about 12, my parents took me on holiday to the West Coast of America. And I remember landing and they had a billboard escape from New York. Like they're one of those big, and in Britain, you don't really have, you certainly then you didn't really have this kind of billboards for movies anyway. And I remember it was like a billboard where you had Kurt Russell and Snake Plissken sort of cut out of the billboard. So it wasn't like a normal shape. I mean, to me, this was magical because it was a movie that itself wouldn't come out in the UK for quite some time because release dates were, you know, it took a while in those days for films to wander around the world. This was both a movie from the future, about the future. It seemed incredibly magical to me. And those kind of experiences just really fueled an interest in film. And then I went to university in the United Kingdom and for some reason just thought I was going to become like a famous rock drummer. I played the drums. I was in a band. You know, I had the privilege of a middle-class upbringing. So you're kind of, you just think, oh, well, magical things are going to happen to me and I'm going to become a a rock drummer, which sounds preposterous, except for the fact that I played in a band at college with this very nice guy called Colin, who had a brother, Johnny, and they were in a different band from their hometown of Oxford. And that band went on to be Radiohead. So it didn't seem that preposterous for a few years that I could be in a different band that became, you know, enormously successful, cutting-edge, multi-platinum selling artists. But the but I was waiting for that to happen, essentially. I mean, I had always written and I wrote for the university you know, newspaper reviewing, you know, horror films and, and, and stuff that uh, sort of the, the classier journalists didn't want to cover necessarily. And then a friend of mine who was also a writer was like, you should start reviewing. He had, he had started reviewing albums, music magazines. And he was like, you'll never guess what. Not only will they pay you 25 pounds, which is like, you know, $40 or so, but you get to keep the record. And to me, this was, you know, and of course, I was at university. And so they have this thing called the milk round where people from financial institutions come around and offer, you know, and you can interview with them and maybe you get a job at Morgan Stanley or whatever. And had I done that, then I would have had, you know, all the money to buy all the records in the world. But instead I went, while I was waiting to be a rock drummer, it just, it just seemed like a, it just seemed magical that only would somebody pay me to write about music, but they would let me they would let me keep the vinyl album as well. And so I started doing that, and I wrote for Blender magazine in the UK, and then I started work, which was a um, sorry Select magazine in the UK, which was a music magazine, and then I started working for Empire magazine, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be aware of, which is a which is a great British film magazine. My first, I think, my first real 
sort of feature for that was going to, this really dates me, but going to Malta on the set of Cutthroat Island, Gina Davis, Matthew Modine pirate film. Then a friend of mine became editor of a music magazine in New York called Blender, and he got me over to New York and, and I started working there. And then at 15 years ago, I started working at Entertainment Weekly magazine, where I'm still happily ensconced. That's fantastic. It's amazing that you were able to manage to uh, live through the magazine wars and the death of a lot of print magazines. You know what? Let me say I'm ensconced there at the time of recording. <laughs> I, I never... <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, I mean, hopefully, and hopefully we'll still be there by the time this comes out. But I mean, I love Entertainment Weekly and I think people do love Entertainment Weekly and it's still a hugely part of the culture. And it's the way a lot of people get their information about pop culture still, you know, and it's a magazine, it's a website, we have podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, every day I'm like, I no longer dream of being a rock drummer. I, I feel that accidentally I have got my dream job, which is writing about you know, the pop culture I enjoy. But every day I touch wood, the, the job is still there. So is You've Got Red on You, is that your first book? It is my first book. Yeah, so this is uh, You've Got Red on You, A Shaun of the Dead, was brought to life, available for pre-order now, Amazon.com. Sorry for the egregious plug. When I was working for a movie magazine called Neon, actually, in the mid-90s, I guess I would have quite possibly been faxed a press release as a kid from Wells, where I grew up, who had made a comedy western in Wells called A Fistful of A Fistful of Fingers. And I was tickled by this and sent one of our writers off to interview him. And so I was aware from Edgar from that. And then Edgar Wright made Directed Spaced, which I loved. Yeah, then he made Shaun of the Dead, which I thought was terrific, and so on and so forth. And about three years ago, I suggested that we do the Entertainment Weekly did a oral history of Shaun of the Dead. And I interviewed Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Kate Ashfield, who plays Liz. I spoke with Bill Nye, and I spoke with Naira Park, who is sort of the, I guess, almost in the same way that George Martin was like the fifth Beatle. Naira Park, is, who's the producer of, of Edgar Wright's films, is sort of like the fifth, fourth member of that gang. And, you know, it, it worked out very well. And then about two years ago, I wanted to write a book. And I thought, well, I've done half the work here, having spoken to these good folks. So I signed a deal with 1984 Publishing last year. And I thought, well, I'll write the book. As it turned out, I'd done about 1% of the work. <laughs> because then immediately, I mean, Edgar was very encouraging of the project. But Edgar is somebody who wants to... I mean, it's interesting because he is such a talented individual. And in many ways, he is so in control of his films, but he also wants to credit all of his collaborators. And so he would say, well, you know, you need to speak to my brother, Oscar, who did a lot of the storyboards for Shaun of the Dead with Edgar and obviously grew up with Edgar. And has also has always been a sort of almost like a, almost like a freelance design consultant on his films. He worked on, on Scott Pilgrim and a lot of other Edgar's films, but no, you know, and Edgar, we were like, we need to talk to this producer. We need to talk to this person and so on and so on and so on. And, I, and I'm sure you find this a projection booth that sometimes somebody, regardless of the person's title, like everybody has a good story to tell. And so almost accidentally, I mean, I like to think it's a pretty entertaining book about how you make, how, how Shaun of the Dead was made and the histories of the, the people involved. But almost accidentally, I think it became like how to make a film. <laughs> 
there are all these, you know, and so I've got, you know, I had the great pleasure of speaking with Jane Walker, who was the, who's a makeup artist and, and, you know, is basically did all of Game of Thrones before then uh, worked on Shaun of the Dead. And she was just very great about, you know, how there was no money, but you, you made do and this and that. And, you know, at one point she said that Edgar and Edgar could confirm this, that so the zombies in Shaun of the Dead have these contact lenses. And in real life, they were in contact lenses. And, at one, and Edgar wanted the contact lenses that were totally opaque. And Jane Walker was like, well, that's probably not a good idea. And Edgar's like, why? And she's like, well, then you've got, like, everybody will be blind. If the, if the, if the contact lenses are opaque, then everybody will be blind. And Edgar's like, well, what's, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure Jane is somewhat, you know, I mean, altering the story, maybe a little of a comedic effect, but maybe not too much. But Jane's like, well, Imagine 50 people running around a pub on fire, blind. And Edgar was like, yeah, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't really want to do that. But it's interesting because it is, it sort of it became, partly I think the book is almost like a guide to, you know, how to make the most of not a lot of money and, and how much work goes into making a film, frankly, you know. Yeah, it is. It's very much the making of, the impact of, uh, it was... Uh so well put together and so well researched. I mean, at the end of the day, how many people did you end up talking with? I think I spoke to about 40 people involved with making of the film and releasing the film, because I have to have a chapter where talking about it being released in, in Britain. And it was always planned as a theatrical film in Britain, but it was never, it was never a sure thing with being released in the States. And so there's a whole chapter about how focus features in the States kind of, uh, within a very short period, tried to put, and to a large extent succeeded on putting Shaun of the Dead on the map before its release in 2004. But, I mean, yeah, I spoke to about 60 people, but sometimes it would be, I mean, I think my last interview, oddly, was with was with Zack Snyder. I was talking to Zack Snyder about Army of the Dead. This is how recent it was. And one of the odd strands in the story is Universal, uh, I mean, Shaun of the Dead was a working title movie, but working title essentially was owned by Universal. And Universal, at exactly the same time the company was making Shaun of the Dead, it was also making Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder in Toronto. And according to Edgar, they would have meetings at Universal in LA every week where they would go in alphabetical order through all the films and how the films that were in production and how they were going. And so it would be you know, this film, this film, this film, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah, was Zach, you know, I spoke with Zack Snyder the other day. He's in Toronto, blah, blah, blah. And then they go through all the other movies, and towards the bottom, they go, Shaun of the Dead. And somebody would be like, one of the executives would be like, I'm sorry, we're making film, we're making a film called Dawn of the Dead. We're also making a film called Shaun of the Dead. What the hell is going on? And Alan Jones, who's a very well-known British entertainment journalist who specializes in horror, visited the set of Shaun of the Dead and then and then was telling me that two weeks later he visited the set of Dawn of the Dead in Toronto. And no one on the set of Dawn of the Dead believed that Shaun of the Dead existed. And they just assumed it was his like droll British humor. But so, yeah, so I was interviewing with Zack Snyder right at the end. I just sort of said, what do you think about Shaun of the Dead? The funny thing is that he said that he really liked it and that it was a zombie movie for, you know, people who love, for film nerds, essentially. I don't think he used the phrase nerds. You know, for people that really like horror movies. And then he said, you know, you can just tell they had an absolute blast making it. I didn't correct him, but having just read a, read a book, which certainly, I mean, Edgar, I mean, lots of people had a lot of fun making Shaun of the Dead, but 
I think one of the reasons Edgar wanted to cooperate with the book was to point out this was tremendously hard work and it was incredibly difficult to get it financed and it was incredibly difficult to get it made. And then it was actually incredibly difficult to get it released in America. And I don't think Edgar would recognize Zack Snyder's description of, you know, clearly everybody had a laugh making it, you know. It can, it can be a lot of work making something looks like it was a laugh to make is one of the morals of the book, I think. I was really glad how you put a Shaun of the Dead in context as far as where we were with the state of zombie films and even talking about things like 28 Weeks Later, where it was just like, okay, when was that versus this? Because I remember, you know, that incredible montage scene in Sean where they're going through the TV channels and they're talking about things that sound like it's right out of 28 Weeks Later. Although no one official is prepared to comment, religious groups are calling it Judgment Day. There's panic on the streets of London. As an increasing number of reports of serious attacks on people who are literally being eaten alive. A witness reports are sketchy. One unifying detail seems to be that the attackers in many instances appear to be... Dead excited to have with us here a sensational chart-topping... ...or ideological connection between those committing the atrocities and perhaps more alarmingly... There's a girl in the garden. What? In the garden, there is a girl. I mean, I'd always been interested in in zombie films and it could be maybe quite late, but but I was, I'm guessing, probably about 18 when Day of the Dead came out. And I remember watching that on video... And it just scared the hell out of me. And I had nightmares about it for days, even though I was, you know, quite a, you know, an adult person, really, by that point. And I think that's still kind of my favorite. It's because it's the first one I saw. But then, you know, I obviously, you know, I, I watched all the Romero stuff. I watched, um, you know, the Return of the Living Dead movies. And, yeah, it was just sort of, and, and then, you know, in time, interviewed Romero quite a few times. I remember interviewing him about, he did a thing where he, he was good enough to talk about 10 terrible films he loved, which were all sort of like, I'd have to look it up, but were sort of like 50s and 60s swashbuckling movies or, you know, overripe melodramas. No, it wasn't like, I mean, nowadays if someone did that, I guess it would be The Room and Troll 2 and stuff like that. But these were just, I mean, obviously Romero came from an older generation and, you know, was, you know, was someone who child of the 40s and 50s. So those are the films that he loved. But yeah, I'd always been interested in zombie movies. And it is it is interesting because by the time they started to write Shaun of the Dead, which was the summer of 2001, the zombie movie was dead. It was, was dead as disco. There hadn't really been, you know, the, as Edgar points out in the book, in Return of the Living Dead 2, there's like a, a Michael Jackson joke, like a zombie Michael Jackson, which I guess is riffing on the Thriller video. And Edgar's like, as Edgar points out, like, that's the end of it, really. You know, that's people are making Michael Jackson jokes and zombie movies, you're pretty much done. And so, Edgar, I mean, the film was written by people that don't know, it's written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, who plays Sean in the film. And they had done an episode of Space, the sort of rift on the zombie movie. This is a show that was on a national network in Britain. But the plot point was that Simon had taken so much speed, amphetamine that he stayed up all night playing video games and then found it difficult to tell, you know, what was really going on. And so there's this opening sequence in the sitcom, the episode of the sitcom where he's just shooting zombies left, right and center. And they had such a good time doing that. They thought, Hey, we'll write a comedy zombie movie. They thought that the ace card was that 
people hadn't made zombie movies in years and that this would be something, you know, they were going to adhere to the zombie rules essentially, but this was something that in a way, it wasn't that it was out of fashion, but it was outside fashion. No one was thinking about zombie movies. And so it would be fresh, I guess, in the same way, the American werewolf in London, it was one of Edgar Wright's favorite movies was sort of with that. And, and the howling were like seemed fresh when they came out at the end of the seventies or begin start of the eighties, because no one had really made a werewolf movie in a long time. So they're writing it, Shaun of the Dead, and they're pretty deep into it. One day, Simon calls him and was like, have you heard of a movie called 28 Days Later? And Edgar's like, well, I know the, I know the title, and I know Danny Boyle's making it, but I don't know what it's about. And Simon Pegg goes, oh, it's a zombie movie. And I think Edgar said that he just smashed his head against the table for like 10 minutes, going, you know, F, 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 F. Yeah, so that was a low point for them. But in the end, I mean, I think that came out in 2002. And Edgar said that in the end, he was quite happy because it's a very, very different movie to Shaun of the Dead. I mean, it's, it's a very bleak movie. I mean, Simon would argue that it's not a zombie movie at all, but that's a whole lengthy discussion. I mean, I, and I think he's right, but that's, that's like a whole cul-de-sac. I don't think we need to go down at this point. But Edgar felt that it sort of set up Shaun of the Dead in, in a way that didn't really step on Shaun of the Dead's territory, but sort of reminded people that the, you know, of the zombie movie genre. And in Britain, actually, Shaun of the Dead came out two weeks after Dawn of the Dead, the Zack Snyder remake. And, you know, as Edgar says, it's quite likely a lot of people went to Shaun of the Dead thinking they were going to see Dawn of the Dead and, and vice versa. So who knows? Edgar would, would point out that Shaun of the Dead ultimately grossed more in Britain than, than uh, 28 Days Later anyway. So it's a happy ending all around. I very much like that you bring up some of the uh, predecessors to Mr. Wright, uh, such as Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson. Shaun of the Dead feels like such a different film than something like The Evil Dead, and it had uh, such a different making of, but they both seem like they're very, very scrappy films, to your point from earlier. Yeah, Edgar had always been interested in films in a way that I think... I don't want to sound like granddad, get off my lawn. But nowadays, if kids want to find out a film nowadays, they can just, you know, get on the computer. Edgar, you know, tells stories. And I mean, I remember doing this myself, of staying up, you know, if Piranha, if Joe Daddy's Piranha was showing at two o'clock in the morning, then you had to stay up till two o'clock in the morning to watch it. Edgar didn't have a video recorder. I mean, his parents were teachers. They, they you know, couldn't really afford a video recorder at the time. But Edgar managed to immerse himself in this world anyway, you know, and buying Angoria and, and other magazines. But then he saw there was a TV show in the UK hosted by Jonathan Ross, who is a very well-known British TV presenter, and it's called The Incredibly Strange Film Show. And every week they would concentrate on a different filmmaker. And one week it was John Waters, and one week it was Russ Meyer. They did an episode on, on Jackie Chan, who, of course, does qualify as a filmmaker, one of his many remarkable talents. But what really turned the key for Edgar was they did an episode on Sam Raimi, who was then in production on Evil Dead 2. And I think the interview I think the interview with Sam takes place in like the editing room of Evil Dead 2. But it was in large part about Evil Dead and how, you know, the famous story about how he and you know Bruce Campbell and some other friends, you know, got money off dentists to fund this this crazy production. And you know, Edgar talks about how he he says he just thought that. 
before seeing that, he just thought that film directors were dropped off at Universal Studios by storks, basically. That you know, you know, it's sort of a bundle. Here's, here's the you know, Steven Spiel, the stork has delivered Steven Spielberg. But that this, this episode of the incredibly strange film show taught him that, well, I mean, to agree to a degree that anybody could be a filmmaker, or, or certainly put him on a road to being a filmmaker. And, and then, you know, he and his brother got a, I think, a Super 8 camera and started making films. And then he won a video camera and started making films with that. But, but a nice sort of, I mean, what's nice, I think when you write a book, sometimes, and I'm saying this like I've written a hundred of them, this is my first, but there were definitely times when I felt that my book was sort of being, the way I was writing the book was being inspired by Edgar's films. And I am not putting myself on, on you know, the kind of level of artistry that he's operating. But I did have this thing that if you mention somebody, it's good. Like, you, do, you don't want to mention somebody only once. Like, if you look you, if you look at an Edgar Wright movie, things, you know, if something pops up, it pops up again and maybe again and maybe again and again. And, you know, just, you know, I mean, these things, they're really, I mean, it's a cliche, but they really are Swiss, like Swiss watches. And one of the nice sort of recurring characters if you will in the book is Corin Hardy who people now know as the director of The Nun the, like the wildly successful Conjuring film and he also was one of the people responsible for Gangs of London which is on AMC which is actually pretty terrific. Edgar won this is sort of coming back to Sam Raimi but Edgar and, and Corin they were you know the same age and they both had short films at a children's or a, or a young person's film festival and I interviewed Corin and he just talked about like seeing Edgar's film and being like, that's the competition. Like this is the this is the film that, that could well beat my film. And then finding him, and they would have both been 15. And Corin was talking about stealing a, you know, a drink from the from the bar of or sneaking out with half a pint of beer and finding Edgar and them starting to talk. And Corin saying, What's your favorite movie? And Edgar saying, Evil Dead 2. And Corin saying, me too. And then Corin was like, it all comes back to Weevil Dead too. And then interestingly, Corin then, you know, helped the costumes for, for A Fistful of Fingers. He plays one of the zombies in, in, in Shaun of the Dead. There is like, there are a lot of quite well-known people, people that would become quite well-known playing zombies in Shaun of the Dead. I think there's a one shot maybe where both Corin Hardy and Joe Cornish, who would later, who was another friend of Edgar's, who would go on to direct Attack the Block, both playing zombies and get killed at the same time. And then finally, you know, Corin makes he makes the Nun, but then makes Gangs of London. And there's a scene in Gangs of London where someone's watching Shaun of the Dead, and he said it was he said it was both a homage to Shaun of the Dead, but also a homage to you know Wes Craven and Sam Raimi's habit of reference. You know, in their references to the Evil Dead in one of the the Nightmare on Elm Street films and, and and vice versa. I think Freddy's Glove maybe is in the basement of one of the Evil Dead films. So yeah, it was very important to me to you know talk about the films gone before. There was a lot more of that originally in the, in the original draft, but it's just it's it's you know I mean, I'm sure you find this as well. You just kind of want to include everything, and then you think, oh no, well, you have sort of people have paid to read a book about Shaun of the Dead. We haven't I haven't mentioned the film in like fifty pages because I'm doing the history of Hammer Horror, then maybe I should cut some of that out, you know. It's tough once you get the interviews, you know, it's tough to, like, give up. I mean, I think I've quoted everybody, I, sp- I know I've quoted everybody I spoke to for the book, but a book's easier than, you know, a, you just got more acreage than than in a magazine article or, a, or a, even a podcast, you know. I also appreciated that, you know, you talked about that it wasn't an easy experience, and, yeah, filmmaking never is, but especially when 
Edgar Wright is having so many difficulties with David Dunlap as cinematographer. Right, right. Yes, there's a lot of difficulties between. I mean, I think it's more. I think it's a culture clash, really. That yeah. So David Dunlap was this very experienced. Uh, he was a very experienced cameraman, and he'd worked on Raising Arizona, on Goodfellas. He had been second unit cinematographer on a lot of big movies, and had just moved into being a DP himself and was an, you know, he was 20 or so years older than Edgar and had this incredible resume of work. And Edgar, essentially, this was his first film, first film with any kind of budget, but it was like a low budget horror movie. And Edgar felt that David and his team, let's say it was a culture clash between Edgar who would do anything to make this movie. And, perhaps some members of the crew who were like, hey, we're paid to be here 10 hours and maybe we'll do 11, you know, over time. But, but, you know, we got wives and families and we're going to go home at the end of that. And I think there's inevitably going to be, you know, a clash there. And I think, I mean, many, many people who worked on Shaun of the Dead have worked with Edgar subsequently. Marcus Rowland, the production designer. I mean, Naira, the producer, lots and lots of people. I mean, obviously... Simon Pegg and Nick Frost have, have, you know, made two more films with with Edgar. David was not as fast back, Pop Fuzz or or any of the the other movies. But I do think, and you have this, I mean, it's funny because, I mean, Edgar, I don't know, somebody says, like, he's not a shouter. He's, you know, on on set. He's not, he says, I mean, he says this himself. He says he's not a shouter, but he can sulk for England. And he says that, you know, he spent most of the shoot in a foul mood, largely because of this difficulty he he perceived to be having the camera crew. But he's not someone that's going to, and you know, we can all think of directors we've heard about who do scream and shout, you know, on set. And he's not that. But there was one incident where he claims, I mean, people read the book and sort could, could believe who they want, but. Numerous people have backed Edgar up on this. So there was one point where he, he needed to get a shot, Peter Serafanovich, the back of Peter Serafanovich's head exploding, basically. His his character in the film becomes a zombie. They needed they hadn't got a shot of his head exploding. They needed it because it needed to be on the set of the Winchester, which is the pub in the movie, and the set was being torn down the next day. And Edgar asked the camera crew to section of the crew, well, everybody to stay behind. But the camera crew said they wouldn't do it. And, and Edgar just left the set, <laughs> went to his office, and just tore his office apart. I mean, it's, there's some debate. I mean, I guess as he basically knocked over a bookshelf, and then maybe there was a little bit more damage than that. But I think in a strange way that that's quite... And Edgar was quite worried about talking about this for the book. And I had to say, look, given... I mean, not to make light of anything, the worst thing you ever do as a director is smash up your own office, you know, in a, in a somewhat restrained fashion, then you're, you know, you're doing fine. Two of the producers, including Naira, who was one of the producers, you know, someone must have said, look, Edgar's like smashed up his office. And producer who was working with Naira, who was, who was her best friend, she said, don't, she said, Naira, don't you go and clean up his office. He's got to go, he's got to tidy up his own office. Don't you dare and tied it up for him. And then actually two days later, <laughs> had a meeting with David Dunlap in his ruined office. This was like the one part of the tale they both agreed on wholeheartedly that after a while, Edgar, uh, David Dunlap got up and he said, I can't, I can't have this meeting here. And then just sort of walked out. I'm sure people who read this will side with Edgar. 
I think there is an element of culture clash between like someone who is very, very young and, as I said, would do anything to get a film made and, you know, someone who was a couple of decades older that, you know, was not prepared to do everything to make a movie and regarded it and certainly regarded this as more of like a nine to five job. Now, and you can, and Edgar would admit, I think some of the conflict did result in maybe sort of tensions and stresses did help the movie in some way. There is something of a happy ending, actually, that, you know, I guess well over a decade or a decade later, Edgar was making Baby Driver and had to do a pickup shot of Kevin Spacey, who was working on House of Cards, right? The Netflix show. And David Dunlap had become the DP of House of Cards. And so Edgar visited the set of House of Cards and took the necessary material of Kevin Spacey. And he said he had a, you know, he was, he and David had a perfectly amiable, you know, exchange. It's not like, and really, I think Edgar's more sort of, and he said over and over again to me, he was like, I wish, I just wish, I wish I could have got them on board more. He felt in a sense that he had, ultimately the fault was his because he said it's up to a director to sell the movie to a, you know, his cast and current. Having said which, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, Edgar didn't, necessarily have a good time making movies. I think, I'm not sure that Edgar ever really has a good time with shooting movies. I certainly don't want to speak to him about that, but he does regard it as quite stressful. And because he's the only, because he's, he is someone that makes these movies in his head, you know, before he, he's, he's, he goes on set. And, you know, obviously he would, he would credit, you know, his, his cast and, and the crew with, with making all sorts of additions and changes, I'm sure. But essentially they shoot what's in his head. And so, you know, it's his responsibility to, you know, every minute of every day on a shoot to, you know, make sure that what's in his head winds up on the screen. A lot of people did have a good time on Shaun of the Dead. And one of the thrills really was talking to uh, a lot of the people who played zombies in the film, who, again, was not something that I would, didn't really expect to be interviewing too many zombies, but I ended up in talking to a lot of them because once again, I would talk to one and they would say, oh, you should talk to you know, I'm still in contact with so-and-so, you should talk to them. And they were, I mean, they really, I mean, Edgar would say this, they really saved the show because this was, you know, a comparatively low-budget film. It was made for four million pounds. So a brand six million dollars, I guess. And, you know, the good thing about zombies is you don't need somebody famous to play them, but you need a lot of them. And this was not a a production that could afford, it was a production that needed a lot of zombies but couldn't afford, afford them. And so they just sort of, put out on websites and through the spaced fan club, you know, anybody interested in being a zombie will pay you a pound a day, basically, which even back in 2003 was, would not, you know, would barely buy you a, a bag of chips, I'm guessing. But no, these people came and stuck around. There was stories that towards, because they shot in the Winchester set for several weeks at Ealing Studios. And there were some, there was some mention that towards the end, you know, zombies were getting off with each other quite a lot. I can't think who it was, but somebody said that you would go into a, a room at Ealing Studios and find two zombies, like, licking each other's fake scabs. And it seemed quite possible that, that at least on at least one occasion, two zombies had sex on the pool table of the Winchester. I don't know who they might have been. It may have happened more than once. I don't know. But, but it's worth remembering next time you watch the movie, zombies have had sex on that pool table. What was your own experience with the film? When did you see it and what did you think? I saw it at Union Square Cinema, Regal Union Square Cinema, I'm thinking, in New York City, and loved it. I thought it was great. It was interesting. There is a whole, one of the sort of running themes of the book is the name of the film and how maybe, how maybe it was not the best title. (laughs) It 
it's it's like all pun titles. When you first hear it, it's not very good. And then if the, if the product is good, then over time you sort of forget that it's a pun, really. I mean, like the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles is a terrible pun. B-E-A-T-L-E-S. But no one even thinks about that anymore because obviously it's the Beatles. I think the same thing happens with Shaun of the Dead. Various people who, you know, trying to get money for the... He actually, Edgar tells a story about, about The Office came out roughly as they were making Shaun of the Dead, the, the British version of The Office. And Edgar talks about bumping into... Ricky Gervais, who he'd worked with in Soho in London, and Ricky Gervais saying, well, what are you doing now? And Edgar said, I'm running a zombie comedy. And Ricky Gervais said, well, what's it called? And he said, Shaun of the Dead. And Ricky Gervais said, no, seriously, what's it called? So I, I, had, I remember having that thought. I remember thinking of a movie with that title, how good can that be? Because it sounds like a goofy com- a zombie comedy. And, and as is repeatedly, the point is repeatedly made throughout the book, it's not a zombie comedy. It's actually a... a it's a satire. I mean, it's a zombie comedy, but it's not a zombie satire. It is a satire of romantic comedies. It is actually a pretty straight horror film. Uh, when Penelope Will turns a zombie, I mean, like, towards the end, I mean, there is an amazing shot. I think Sean and Liz in the foreground. First time you see Penelope Wilton as a zombie, well, it's pretty much the last time you see her as a zombie, but she rises up like Bella Lugosi, basically, and uh, it's absolutely chilling. But no, so so I saw it. Union Square, and I, I, you know, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. And then I saw Hot Fuzz a couple of years later, which is a weird one for me because, as I said, I grew up in Wells, and it's shot in Wells, and so it's almost like a psychotropic experience watching that. And I can't, I mean, it's really, it's really great. It's a great movie. It's really funny. It is so big in Britain. It's, I mean, it was a huge, huge hit for them in Britain. But I just can't get quite beyond the fact that it's shot in my hometown. And then it got made, got Pilgrim, which is sort of its own, story and i think i mean i liked all of these films strangely was when i saw the world's end which i suspect is it's like the least acclaimed of what's known as the cornetto trilogy but i thought wow they've made this trilogy and it's great you know and it's you know in some ways i mean it's obviously not a trilogy at all in some ways none of the characters are the same really and they're different genres to a degree but you know they have these in jokes and and just what an achievement to make those three films, you know. And I, I very much love the end of The World's End when Simon Pegg's character tells the aliens to piss off and, and, and thus results in the, and thus causes the end of civilization. That always gives me a chuckle. And that was the moment I thought, well, I'm like, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this is amazing. And I think, you know, and it's sort of the opposite of, and this may seem like a bit of a, a, bit of a reach as a comparison, but the when you think of, what they tried to do with the dark universe where it was like, okay, here are you on, we're going to make 12 of these movies. Here are the people that are going to be in them and blah, blah, blah. And, and of course they only ever made the mummy. Whereas, I mean, they weren't planning to make the Cornetto trilogy at all. I mean, the only reason the, the only reason the Cornetto is mentioned, which is for those that don't know, is a brand of ice cream in the UK. The only reason there's a Cornetto in the first movie is because it was Edgar's uh, uh, hangover cure. Nick Frost's character is hung over in the movie and, and asks Simon Pegg to get him a Cornetto. And the only reason it's in the second movie is because for the premiere party of Shaun of the Dead, someone arranged to have like free Cornettos. And they were like, wow, if we mention Cornetto in the second movie, then maybe we'll get more free Cornettos. And the only reason it's in the third film is that one of the journalists, Edgar was talking to a journalist doing publicity for Hot Fuzz, 
And the journalist said, so are you going to make a Cornetto trilogy like Christoph Kieslowski's Three Colors? And Edgar was like, yeah, it's going to be, you know, the Three Colors ice cream trilogy. I mean, not that they wouldn't have made three films. I just like the fact that it's just totally accidental. I don't want to say shambolic. It's anything but shambolic, but it is totally accidental. They could have just they could have just made the one film. I mean, if, the, if Shaun of the Dead hadn't been released in America at all or had gone to straight to video, I'm guessing the careers might well have taken a very different very different path. Maybe they wouldn't have made more movies together. Maybe they would have made more. I don't know. But no, I like, and I think people appreciate, like all cult films, that people are able to discover this by themselves. And it's the support of the fan that allowed them to make three films to a degree. And I think people really engage in that. I would say that I assumed there would come a point writing this book where I had had enough of watching Shaun of the Dead. And that just never really happened. I truly think it's a, it's a really great movie. And in the course of writing it, and even now, if I'm ever feeling down, I put on the Queen Don't Stop Me Now sequence and watch, and watch, you know, Simon Pegg and the rest of them try to beat up the zombified pub landlord with a pool cue. And, and it always puts a smile on my face. It is so amazing that they managed to secure the rights to all those songs for that film. Was that Nick Angel that did yes, that? Yes, yes. Do I also, I spoke to, I'm laughing because, yeah, so as this gentleman called Nick Angel, who was the music supervisor, and when I was the music supervisor on lots of working title movies, I'm laughing because they then decided to, to name Simon Pegg's character in Hot Fuzz, Nicholas Angel, and... I was interviewing Nick Angel. I said, well, when did you realize these films were a big deal? And he said he was attending South by Southwest one year. And I guess was had flown into Austin or wherever, was, was handing over his passport. And he said, the guy looked at the passport, looked at him and said, are you the Nick Angel from Hot Fuzz? And Nick, Nick Angel said, yes, I am, actually. And was sort of just waved through. Yeah, he said that the, he actually said that getting the, he didn't remember getting, because there's two Queen songs in the movie that don't stop me now. And then is it best friend? Is that the, is that the title right at the end of the film? And the film's also got, you know, it's got tracked by the specials. It's, and I mean, it's obviously got, I mean, there's a whole score as well composed by uh, Pete Woodhead and, and Daniel Mudford, but yeah, Nick didn't remember there being any particular problem securing the music. Just as a side note, those who have seen the film will know that there is a sequence where Simon Pegg and Nick Frost try to kill two zombies by throwing vinyl records at them. And there's more of a story to the fact that if you want to show the cover of a vinyl record in a movie, you've got to get permission from, from the act, from the band or whoever holds the rights to that. And so Simon, you see Sade's, Sade's debut album, and you see a couple of others. You don't, but you don't see Dire Straits because apparently Simon Pegg, legendarily, it turns out, just writes the nicest letters imaginable and wrote a letter to Sade being like, you know, you don't know us, but we're making this zombie movie. And the thing is that with the records that are thrown are the records the two characters don't like. So they throw a, they throw a Dire Straits record because, I mean, at the time, Dire Straits were, you know, a bit of a... They took one of those bands that were so successful, they tended to be the butt of jokes, you know. And they show that they throw the Sade record because I think it belongs to Liz, with whom who was just split up with Sean. Oh, and they also throw the Batman soundtrack by Prince. They refuse to show refuse to throw like Sign of the Times, the Prince record, but they but they throw the Batman soundtrack. And so I don't even think they tried to get permission from Prince. So you don't see that come. You do see Sade, and Edgar was like, 
Edgar was just talking about what fantastic person she is, or I guess a whole band, particularly her, because she must have got this letter being like, look, we're making a zombie film. We throw your record at, at a zombie. Can you give us permission? And she was like, yep, no problem at all. And apparently Mark Knopfler either didn't get the, the letter or declined to, to have Dire Straits album thrown at a zombie. So that did not come to pass. Edgar told me that there was an alt scene or an alt version of the scene where they, they, or they thought about it instead of Prince throwing David Bowie records. Edgar's a huge Bowie fan, and they thought maybe they'd throw David Bowie records at the zombies. And so it would be, and I can't remember the examples, but it would be like, oh, should we throw Ziggy Stardust? Should we throw Hunky Dory? No. What about the Labyrinth soundtrack? Yes. So they, they would, the idea is they would throw the Labyrinth soundtrack at the zombies. And Edgar said that he recalled, he sort of got in contact with someone in Bowie's camp and, and, and got the message back that Bowie was a bit weird about Labyrinth. And so, or maybe a bit weird about Labyrinth being like regarded as a bit of a, as a bit of a joke. So, so, so that didn't come to pass either. Do you see Frost and Peg and Wright working together anytime in the future? Every time I speak to them, and indeed every time anybody speaks to them, this isn't breaking news, that they always say that, you know, they will at some point. And I'm sure they will at some point. I think what it's what it's worth bearing in mind with them is they've essentially they've essentially done four projects, Space, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and then The World's End. And they're not people they're determined not to repeat themselves, but they're also people that are interested in writing about where they are in life. So, you know, they did two series of space, two seasons of space, and that was essentially a show about students. I mean, I mean, not students, but, you know, very recent students and people without jobs, essentially. And then they did Shaun of the Dead, which is about a person who has like what I would describe as a muck, you know, a muck job or, you know, a, you know, just a sort of dreary pointless nine to five job which is kind of the point of the movie and then hot fuzz is is you know about people with jobs and they got you know they're, they're cops they're policemen and then the world's end is already like you know very much an older film about older people and is essentially about a middle-aged depressed suicidal alcoholic really really making it sound like a fun movie it is a fun movie for people who haven't seen it and so i think the problem is that people always want they like that someone's last movie, they want someone to make that movie again or whatever it is, whether it's an album or, you know, and so when they were doing space, people really wanted third season of space, but they knew they, you know, they'd left, they came a point where I think where they thought about it, but, but they realized they'd left it too long and they couldn't, you know, write a show that was about people in their early twenties when they were now in their mid thirties or whatever. So I'm sure they will work together again. And, you know, in various ways they do work together you know, here and there. But but I don't in the same way World's End is very different to Shaun of the Dead. It's probably not going to be necessarily what people expect or even hope for, but but I'm sure it'll be, you know, brilliant in its own way and, and, and people will love it just as much. When did you send this off to the editor of the publisher? And I'm very curious where that's in line with the pandemic. Well, that was an interesting thing. Because when I started writing, I mean, I started thinking about writing the book about about two years ago, about a year before I actually signed the deal. So I started thinking about it before the pandemic. And so, I mean, I mean, the answer to your first question is this is actually not finished until the pandemic was in full sway. My original plan was to end it with the death of George Romero, essentially, which was now like 
which four years ago, I'm thinking, in in that vicinity. Because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about George Romero in the book, and as I said, I'd interviewed him, and obviously, Shaun of the Dead is a love letter to George Romero's zombies movies, and Simon and George Romero invited Simon and Edgar to cameo as zombies in Land of the Dead. And then after he, he passed away, Edgar was one of the speakers at the ceremony for George Romero's star on the walk of fame. And I wasn't there, but there's video of it. And Greg Nicotero has spoken and Malcolm McDowell, who is one of Romero's friends, oddly, or, you know, I didn't know that spoke and Edgar spoke and Edgar was talking about, you know, the impact that Romero had had on him and on the culture in general. And he was sort of flanked by these two people who'd been made up as zombies. And I remember thinking, well, you know, that's like the final scene. And I can get Edgar talking about that. And that'll be a sort of nice, bittersweet ending in as much as, you know, George has passed, but people are still, you know, mining his his work for creative purposes. And then the coronavirus hit. And to be clear, the fact that the coronavirus meant I had to write another chapter of this book is like of zero importance to, to I mean, I'm not like boo-hoo me at all. But the coronavirus hit and a number of things happened, including the fact that Sean, certainly in the UK, and I think elsewhere, Sean of the Dead was all over the internet again. I mean, I was in the UK during this period and you couldn't turn on Twitter without Simon Pegg saying, or Sean saying, oh, we should all go down to the pub and, and wait for this to all blow up. So much so that fairly early on, Edgar tweeted, do not do this. Whereas, I mean, I mean, remember, he's like, the good thing is that Sean tried something and we should all try something, but don't try this. Because if you remember, everybody di- pretty much everybody dies in that mood, so don't go to the pub. And then um, Simon and Nick did a little remote sketch where they sort of reprise one of the scenes in the film, but again, advising people not to go to the pub. So what's the plan? Call mum, make sure she's okay. If Philip has been infected, follow the NHS guidelines to the letter. Don't you want to kill him? Well, of course I want to kill him. I just can't right now. Oh. Don't go to Liz's. What if I'm horny? Well, she's my girlfriend. All right, Gray. What do you mean, all right, Gray? Ah, yeah, I see what you're doing. I know it's 2020, but the original joke wasn't intended as homophobic. It was more a comment on the absurdity of straight male appropriation of homophobic signifiers in order to denote their aversion to emotional candidness. One of the people who played the zombies told me that his image in Shaun of the Dead was being used on some Australian news network, that every time they had a coronavirus like news item, there would be a little picture of, of him as a zombie from Shaun of the Dead in the corner, you know? That sort of, it meant that I, yeah, I then wrote an epilogue kind of explaining all of that. And as I, I would much rather not have written that epilogue or had cause to write that epilogue, but I guess it did add a certain contemporary aspect to the film. I mean, it's interesting because it's a film that, you know, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but, but a lot of books like this, it's like, you know, this film from the early 70s and how it changed Hollywood. And that's not something I get into. And this isn't a book about how Shaun of the Dead changed Hollywood because I'm not sure that it did. I think it's almost in opposition to, and I think Edgar would agree with this, it's almost in opposition to the, I mean, Edgar's films are almost in opposition to the way that Hollywood has gone. That even though, yes, Edgar is working in genre and, you know, Shaun of the Dead is obviously indebted to 
George Romero's films. It's a very original piece of work, and all of Edgar's films are very original pieces of work, really. While Hollywood has, you know, increasingly gone down an original and an unoriginal. And, you know, I mean, Edgar's, I think I quote Edgar saying this in the book, that people should remember that Star Wars was an original script once, you know, and I don't hate franchises necessarily, but you need, someone needs to dream up these things in the first place in order for you to have franchises. And it's, I'm hard pressed necessarily to, I mean, I think of Edgar in the same way that I think of people like, you know, Sophia Coppola, P.T. Anderson, these people who, you know, these people who have distinct visions. And I'm sure that, yes, the, you know, there are ways in which their influence, in, w- in which they inspire other people. But, you know, I'm not sure. You're hard-pressed looking at the at the Hollywood landscape, really, to be like, oh, well, you know, clearly, and, you know, the, the, these artists are, you know, have, have inspired the way things have gone. Having said that, Edgar's films, you know, have become over time, with the exception of Scott, Edgar's films have become more and more popular over time, with the exception of Scott Pilgrim, which is now like probably the most popular cult movie of the past 10 years or 11 years now. It's a pretty good track record. You know, it shows almost like an alternative history of what might have been to a degree, but at least, we, I mean, you know, alternative history is better than no history. So what are you working on now? And do you have a plan for a second book? I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm honestly going to see how this is received. Got a couple of thoughts. No, I'm not entirely sure. It depends how this is received. I have to say, Entertainment Weekly keeps me pretty busy. So, I mean, that's the other thing that I was writing as well. I didn't really take any time off to do this. So there would be some months. It was funny, especially during the pandemic. I wouldn't think you'd have to write so much about the fact that no films were coming out. But but I, I mean, again, I'm being tried. Clearly, the pandemic is a serious thing. My memory of 2020 is mostly about is mostly writing about how Tenet was being would be postponed for another two weeks or brought forward two days or whatever. So, yeah, I'm kept pretty busy with Entertainment Weekly stuff. Thank goodness. But yeah, if people like this, then I got some. I got some maybe not dissimilar ideas than the, for books they might enjoy. But uh, but we'll see. Where can people keep up with you in the book? People can keep up with the book by pre-ordering it at Amazon.com. You've got Red on You by Clark Collins. People can keep up with me on Twitter at Clark Collins. Also on Instagram at Clark Collins. People can find me on Facebook. I'm now realizing how horribly exposed I am in so many ways. I should probably shut down at least half of these accounts. But yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to read a mix of... My two big interests are horror movies and Yorkshire Terriers. So if you want to... Much like... Fun, well, I was I'm just... It's a total side, but, 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 but Adam Green and Joe Lynch, the Movie Crypt podcast, have a, uh, a Yorkshire Terrier benefiting marathon every year. And I sometimes think that it's proof that... The world only exists inside my head. That there is a, a marathon devoted to horror movies and, and Yorkshire Terriers. But if people want to see pictures of cute Yorkshire Terriers and be kept up with, you know, all the most, all the all the news on all the new gruesome movies, then they can follow me on Twitter. Well, Clark Collis, thank you so much for your time. This was great talking with you. No, my absolute pleasure. I'm a huge fan of the projection booth. I think you're doing God's work. I know as someone who operates in, you know, maybe a not dissimilar arena how tricky it can be to attract down people but also how rewarding it can be you know when you do so so please you you know keep up the good work 